0: This morning, our text of scripture is 1 Peter chapter 4, so I'm going to ask you to turn your Bible if you have that, verses 7 through 11. Um, I'm going to read that in a moment, but I do want to acknowledge that this feels different um, to just look out and see 40 people in spread out chairs. I hope that it's not going to be different, though, for you to enter 1 Peter with us. I hope that you've been tracking along with us, because it's been six, seven weeks of us walking through... The text, uh, expositionally as we do, seeing the gospel be just pulled out of God's word for us and full disclosure to us and show us ourselves. And I know that many of you have tracked with that, but if you haven't, then, let me just encourage you over the weeks to come and go back and pick up the last time you were in. Because the text of, of God's word is built and it's built in its context for us to understand the wholeness of the meaning. And so we turn to what I hope is a familiar sort of... Uh, thought for you as we see where Peter takes us next in chapter four, beginning in verse seven. So would you stand with me and let's read God's word together. Hear his word as I read. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, And dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. God. Father, bless us now as we turn to your word. Would you apply it to our hearts right where we are? Peter ends this text in doxology and praise because of the, the, the vastness of your love for us in Jesus. Would you help us to experience that same awe and worship? Would that be? the net result of our time in Your Word this morning, that we worship You and glory in You through Jesus and Him alone. We ask You to bless our time in Your Word, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can seated, please. I've gotten used to recording my sermons on Wednesday or Thursday, so it's been interesting to be back at, kind of waiting to the Lord's Day, which really is the beginning of a week, but for a preacher it's the end of a week of preparation. And so it's just interesting to to stand before you um, and not be somewhere outdoors or wherever looking at myself all by myself. So um, may God bless us a little bit more interactive because I can see your faces. But we start out kind of carrying forward where the text of Scripture left off last week. And last week, what we looked at was Peter says, I want you to arm yourself with certain ways of thinking. So we talked about the necessity that we think in certain ways about the atonement of Jesus. About the suffering that makes us so we are done with sin. We have ceased from sin because all that sin deserves was put on Jesus, so his suffering has given us power to be done with sin fully. Both its, its oppression of us, the consequence of it. Would we know that freedom? And one of the things that Peter says in the early part of chapter four, he says, the time that is past suffices for you doing the things that you want to do with the passions of your flesh. You've had enough time to do that, is what Peter says. Then he says, the rest of the days, the rest of the time that we have, we should live no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now this morning's text, he starts and he says, essentially, the end of all things is is at hand. So he's still talking sort of in sense of time. You've got enough time to do what you want in your flesh, live the rest of your time for God's will. Then he says this, time is at hand. Whose hand? It's just, I'm a visual guy. Time's in God's hands, not in our, our hands. We don't possess time. He possesses time. Time is a creation by the uncreated one, if you will. Time is at hand. The whole New Testament points to God's people living in a sense of anticipation that the time will come when time is up and eternity, so, so to speak, starts. The end of all things is a, is a hand of thing. Peter says, we should be living in and expecting and anticipating Jesus to return to, to bring his kingdom in full on this earth as redemption is wholly accomplished. <clears throat> now, now if you look at that phrase, the end of all things is at hand. I recall last year walking through the Apple Festival in um, Unicoid and straight preachers on the corner and it was actually Sunday afternoon I think we went and I had just finished preaching the gospel here and then you walk by and There's signs up, repent now, right? Doom now. Now we should all repent now, and I'm not gonna give any commentary on that. I was awkward, frightened actually, but that's not what Peter wants us to think of. And here's how I know that that's not what he wants us to think of. The word for end, the end of all things is at hand, is the Greek word telos. Telos is not just the name of the coffee that's roasted in this building, Telos Coffee Company. But as I've sat with Jonathan and Carrie tell telos means completion, right? It means fulfillment, it means realization, it means purpose. So what Peter is saying is people of God understand the full realization of the kingdom of God is at hand. It could be at any time now. The culmination of all the promises of the gospel that we wait for is almost here. You have to ask the question, is Peter wrong? Because apparently he's been almost here for 2000 years. Now, he's not wrong, because he's not saying a point in time is almost here. He's saying a period of time, since Jesus' resurrection is here. And we're living in the period of time that is the final stage in the process of all things being complete. Let me ask you this. Whatever you do, you live right now. Have you lived this week in the midst of quarantine? As though you're living in the final phase of history till God completes all of His promises. Have have you woken up on a Tuesday, or a Thursday, Friday, or this morning, and we are in the last stage of all of history, and God alone knows it's in His hand when that time will be.
1: Now we know as the people of God are not to
0: fixate on the precise timing of when that is. Beware of those who tell you they know when that time is. We're also not to live frenzy, Peter tells us here how we should be living, but I want you to honestly think with me all that you have lived in recent days. Let me just give you a window into our life. Um, Seeking to love wife and family in a totally different construct where we're just on top of each other, where we can't allow our children to leave the house, even the children who can drive, even children whose friends would normally be doing senior spring things, playing around, volleyball here and there. Nope, not now. We're on top of each other. And then for me, working with a wonderful part-time staff in our church as we think about how are we gonna do this worship from home situation and getting bulletins done and now we need the musicians to be recording and um, what day of the week, is the weather nice enough for me to go outside and record my sermon, am I ready, am I not? Um, we are doing deacon training, so we have the men, you have nominated to be deacons, getting ready for that, processing through that, um we've got testimony videos. Who should we ask to do a testimony? How do we set that up? What about the children's sermon? Are the kids ready for dad to talk to them today? Has dad been worthy of pastoring his children he should do some video now. But all this stuff starts to pile up. As you all know, I do contracting work for some nonprofits, and this is a time where nonprofits need revenue streams they've never thought out before. So that's been a busy run for me. And so it's all been piled up and in the midst of all of that. We go and buy two baby goats which sounds fun, and it's gonna be fun, but it's stressful, right? Because we want our little home farm to have ghosts, and now it's louder than we expect, and they've already gotten out of the fence that we made, and okay, that's not even the half of it. But Jim, you're living in the last phase of God's plan of redemption. And What I didn't mention is talking to many of you in fear of job loss or sickness or this or that. You are living and I am living in the last phase of history. That's what Peter wants us to know. Regardless what your days look like, compared to my days. You know, Jesus talked about this, right? In Luke chapter 12, he told a parable. He said, you know, you should stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, he said to his disciples. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, the master will then dress himself for service. He will have them sit down at the table, and he will come, and he will serve them. Peter, Peter is the one who speaks up. Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? And Jesus said to him, Peter, boys, who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. And I'm not going to keep going, but Jesus goes further, and he actually talks about the consequence and the being cut to pieces and cast out with the unfaithful. if The master comes home, and he finds his stewarding servants not being servants and not ready for him. Jesus speaks that way. So now Peter speaks this way. Folks, we are in the last phase of history when all things are going to come to their completion that the phrase, the two words, all things is huge. Do you realize how big and broad the Christian world you should be? All things will come to completion, all justice across all parts of the earth, all purpose fulfilled, all creation restored, all tasks complete, all serving done, all mission fulfilled, all things are view. That's glorious. Peter says you to think soberly then during these days Clear-mindedness is what we're commanded to there in verse 7. Let me ask you, do you pray with the end in mind? I love how Peter starts with prayer. He doesn't say, because the end of all things is at hand, go do stuff. He says, first pray. Pray. You're called to do stuff, and that's in this text. But the first thing is to pray, Lord. When will you return? Come quickly, Jesus. Lord, who shall I serve today? Lord, what shall I be about today? Lord, where it is my power to do what you want me to do today? Lord, give me freedom to forgive people who have offended me today. Lord, I'm coming to you in a posture of prayer because you can come back at any time. And so I'm going to live in a spirit of dependent prayer. That's where Peter starts. Interesting, he starts there because would you agree with me that Peter failed to free visibly when he was walking with Jesus? Recall Peter, Mark fourteen. Jesus is talking to his disciples in the garden, and he's, he says, "My heart is sorrowful under death. Would you guys do me a favor? Sit here, watch and pray while I go over there and pray because the hour is near." And Jesus returns, and when he returns, who does he call out when he sees them sleeping? Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter failed while he followed Jesus to the moment of the cross. He's saying, Don't fail the way I did as we remember the moment of his return. Let's think about this. Um, if you're not self-controlled or sober-minded, which is what the text says, if we're a follower after Jesus and we're not very alert, because we can become completely lazy, we know that, what happens to your prayer life? we either not praying at all, right? We just go through the motions, we just say we're not praying at all. Or we pray in rather random, spontaneous times, whatever we think we have need. Anybody have a spiritual cycle that's like that? Just randomly, oh, I'm in need now. So now I'm in a posture of prayer. Now I'm in a posture of dependence. Or if we mostly pray when we're struggling with sin, and we mostly pray when we're confessing our sins. We mostly pray when we fail. Let me ask you this. What does that do to our spirit of proactive prayer saying, God, who do you want me to serve today? Our prayer is stumped in them. It's limited to our own experience of failure and need of mercy. And God delights to give us mercy. But that's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying pray to be a participant in redemption to the day of its full accomplishment." All right, so we'll move forward, but Peter says, be sober-minded, be full of prayer. What should we be praying for? It's pretty simple. Pray for how you use the time. That's it. With the resources and gifts God's given, you pray for how you use the time, because you are a steward. If that's what I do, then what am I? I am a steward of God's grace, and that's where Peter takes us. Whatever role we play, Father, mother, child, spouse, employee, neighbor, employer, boss, teammate, student, sibling. Whatever role you play, Peter says you're a steward of God's very grace in this time of the final phase of redemption. You've received His grace every hour, every day, every interaction at home and work and play. That is what you are. You are a steward administering the Master's plan with the Master's gifts. All things are in, and all of me and all of you is called to serve God in a season until he fulfills everything. I love how verse 8 starts with the words above all, and then it goes straight into love. I, I personally feel that the words above all actually describe everything through verse 11. Certainly it applies to love, but above all, this is what you should be about. And it ends in worship. But it's also pretty clear in here that Peter does not want us to think of ourselves as individual, pietistic beings. Everything he says in this section is communal. Please note that. That's been one of the hard parts about being apart from each other. But I think some of what God's doing is he's teaching us how to be proactive participants in a community, to pursue people we don't always run into anymore. And certainly, if you've been given a micro-community in your own home, is it a healthy place Do you know-how to be full of love, hospitality, and service to one another in that micro-community God's given to you? We've been given a new opportunity toward that end. But so we're stewards. Verse 8, above all, let's look at what this looks like. Keep loving one another deeply. The Greek word there for deeply, or your English Bible may say earnestly, it's not actually describing emotional deep intensity. That's important. We've got this feeling that love is always deep and full of emotional, um, <clears throat> either rosy or terrifying deep, it's Deep, it's deep, deep. The word here, the Greek word for it is, is actually wide. It's about a love that stretches. It's not about a love that is emotionally intense, it's about a love that stretches across all the trials and all the difficulties. Now maybe it's because I'm a pastor. I don't know. Right? I've had many people in my life, and I want you to trust me that it's many, because I've talked to some of you about this and in my own home, I've talked to people about this. But have you ever had someone look at you and say, I knew I pushed you too far. Like, I knew you'd love me to this point, but this is what I am. And, and people stop eventually. I've had many people tell me that over the years as a pastor. And we, we experience it right now in new ways, even in our own home, as we're on top of each other day after day. We're going to push past the limits. Here's what the Bible says. God's love stretches our love beyond limits. He loves us first. We love because he loved us. The reach of God's love is what stretches our love. And that's what Paul prays for the church in Ephesians 3, that they know the depth, the width, the length, the height of his love. It surpasses knowledge because there's not a point where a Christian looks to another Christian and says, I knew you'd stop at that point. I'm too complicated. No, we stretch far beyond love never fails, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Above all, you and I are to steward love for one another that stretches beyond boundaries that other people would say, stop some point. I want you to think of us how love covers a multitude of sins. That's a quote from Proverbs 10, But Peter, he failed in this in his life, or at least he struggled to understand it, didn't he? Think of his interaction with Jesus in Matthew 18. I wonder how noble Peter, Peter felt when he, you know, Jesus said, how, they asked Jesus, how many times do you forgive a person who makes sin against you? I just imagine Peter felt very noble, kind of impressed with his answer seven times. Right? The perfect number, that's a lot. The same offense from the same person, seven times. Jesus says, Peter, you don't know the beginning of it, the kind of stretching love the Father has for sinners. Seventy times seven. Jesus wasn't very impressed with his answer. Let me ask you, and I'll ask myself the question, how impressed is God with your stretched love Seven times like, what? my house. <laughs> oh Above all, love deeply with a love that covers sin. Now, we don't pay for other persons' sins. We can. Jesus paid for our sin. He pays for others. But our love expresses His mercy that stretches and stretches and stretches. We may even bear the cost of that stretch and the inconvenience and the pain and the frustration. But we delight to do so because He holds the consequence of all. Above all, love. Verse 9 What does stewarding look like? Not just stewarding Christ's love, but above all, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The Greek word for hospitality, I don't know if you know this, it's a combination of two Greek words, love and stranger. So it's the word, let me find it here, uh, phylloxenoth. So phylos, you hear the word for, for brotherly love, and then the word for stranger, put together. Oh, how important hospitality was in the time of Peter, where there weren't lodges for people to stay. In fact, if there was a lodge, it was quite a little place usually. And you think about Peter's writing a letter to the scattered church, and when they traveled, where would they stay? Where would they get a nice sleep, a warm meal? All across Asia Minor, God's people were to be about an incredible, beautiful hospitality. Most churches were so small, they would meet in each other's homes.
1: And I know many of you host
0: our community groups, et cetera. It's no less important today than before. I think that's one of the reasons a lot of us here feel pain. I hope you don't attend the building of Christ Community Church, and you never have. I hope you're a part of the community of Christ Community Church, and we gather in each other's homes. I was listening to a pastor preach on this text this week, and he talked about they're in a university setting. And he talked about university students that come for a short period of time, um, and also them to us, we're in a university setting. And this is something we can grow in, I believe Students come, internationals come, and they're here for a short season of time. How long should it take an international or a student who comes from far away to find a community if they walk into a church as a stranger? They're not going to be given maybe the amount of time that you or I have, where we plan to hopefully find a church and stay for a decade. They have maybe a year, maybe two, maybe three. What does it look like to welcome strangers into the community quickly, beautifully, fully, with wisdom and prudence? With some caution, but with hospitality, and so we're taught to be, Christ said, "As I was a stranger, and you invited me in. So be to one another." Then in verse ten, so stewarding looks like deep stretching love. It looks like hospitality that doesn't grumble. By the way, if you host the community group, I just want to thank you because we have overseas seasons of our life, and after it's over, your house, your energy level. Right? It's very much impacted. What does it look like to do it without grumbling? With a spirit of thanksgiving. That's what we're called to be. Verse 10 it goes forward. As each of you has received the gift, serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. There's that word steward. You're an administrator of his gifts. You're an administrator of his agenda. The origin of your stewardship is God. The object of your stewardship is other people. And let's also be clear, God doesn't need us to do anything. You know that, right? Acts 17, when Paul preached, he has no need. He doesn't need you to express his love to others. He chooses to invite us into a gospel of hospitality. That's That's one of my favorite pictures of our salvation. God's been hospitable to us. The Trinity has invited us into perfect relation of unity and intimacy and glorying over the other person, and that's what we're invited into. So, serve in all that you say and in all that you do, those that God gives you the opportunity to interact with, with hospitality. Peter doesn't give lists like the Apostle Paul does of all the spiritual gifts. Note with me, as you've received very gifts of grace, steward them, and his examples are speaking and serving. Right? Words and works, that's all Peter says. Paul gives lists in Romans 12, lists in 1 Corinthians 12. But Peter just gives a broad description that I think will help us. Notice, uh, it's your gifts are for others. You steward what God's given you for others. One commentator said this this week. He said, you know, Peter's focus is often lost today. Christians eagerly discuss spiritual gifts but in a way that would surely distress the Apostle Peter. Their concern is not how they can serve others and bring glory to God. Rather, they seek self-fulfillment. They want to discover their gifts so they can know their own identity. Are you seeing that happen in your own life in the church in America, especially in the U.S.? Where what we do and how we are received with what we give defines who we think we are. Therefore, I need to know my spiritual gifts so I know who I am. He says, no, you need to use the gifts God's given you to serve the people he's asked you to serve. It's actually not about your identity. You have an identity. You're a steward. It's amazing, this concept of steward. Your and my gifts are not so we feel useful or we see that we're needed. Our gifts are for others to be served and God to be worshipped, period. Do you live like that in the last phase of history? This is a big deal for all of us. i want to reflect a little bit, because I know some of you have said, or you're thinking right now, I don't really see that I have any gifts to offer. I don't have anything. I've tried, and it's not really the people around me. I've tried, and all I do is fail. I don't know what I can give. Let me, let me just look into your heart, if it's you. You know that as sure, if Jesus received his spirit poured out on him at his baptism, you've received that spirit in you, and that spirit has gifted you, and it is not a true statement if you've ever made that statement to yourself. We are not allowed to downplay our gifts in this phase of God's redemption of all things. Do you know that? You can't downplay them because they're not yours. You don't have your gifts announced to you. That's one of the trials, I think. How do you know what your gifts are? By serving. Your gifts are discovered in service. You don't receive an announcement from God saying, I've given you this. Now, think of William Carey. Um, Well before his role as a missionary to India, did you know that William Carey had the gift of just being a linguist? He was super duper smart, picked up languages fast. He mastered Latin, Greek, Hebrew, Dutch, and French, no problem. At the same time, he ended up having some just humility and gifts of shepherding a very small congregation. So now you have a linguist, a master linguist who has hearts of caring and small sets of people as a pastor. What did God do with that? He took that man's gifts. He used them as William Steward them, and he became a great missionary statesman educator in India. Go figure. Now you may say, well, I'm no William Carey. I have nothing wrong, as sure as Jesus receives his spirit poured out him on his baptism, as sure as we have all received the spirit of God as a gift in which we find our hope, you and I have gifts in how we get to speak and how we get to serve others, period. And that's what Peter says. All of us have received a rich and variegated grace. It looks different, doesn't it? You look different when you steward your life than I look when I steward my life. That's why we need to be very careful in judging how other people serve, but also to push God's people to sacrifice and serve. We should rejoice when we see somebody acts, looks, thinks totally different than we do.
1: I can't tell you what it was like when I first
0: met my wife, and I, I, I we would hang out, and she would observe a situation, and I would see it, my way, and all of a sudden I had this woman that God was going to eventually give me for my life who saw things differently. She heard people say things, she saw the furrow brow of a person who was hurting. She saw things I didn't see. I still don't see. Now, what are these spiritual gifts? Peter says it's speaking and it's doing. The Bible does list them for you, so let me list some of the Bible gifts. Some are gifted in it, they have the gift of prophecy or service, or teaching, or preaching. You know, some are gifted at giving. It's a spiritual gift to give. God gives some people immense resources to give. Leading, wisdom, knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of discernment. And Paul is clear to say, different gifts, but the same spirit. There's only 20% of our church in this room right now. Do you know how unbelievably gifted you are? The ones I'm looking at with my eyes right now? Now, Corey asked me this, which she said, Why do you think Paul, in two different letters to two different churches, gives lists of gifts? And Peter, when he writes a letter to scattered churches, doesn't list anything. I should be careful not to hypothesize things I don't know, but can I take a wild guess? I think that's a great question. Paul grew up a Pharisee. He was a legalist. He grew up in systems of know who you are and do what you do and do it right. And Paul was all about knowing where he was, which hole am I supposed to fill with what I've been given? I think Peter was a misfit. I think Peter mostly felt like a failure. I think Peter couldn't believe that as a fisherman Jesus said, follow me. So when Peter tells us about the gifts of the Spirit, he's not going to say, find your gift, it's one of these twelve things and go do. Peter's going to say, when you Look at someone and you talk to them, and you find out their need, and you serve them. That's you being a gift of the Holy Spirit. Another person. That's it. Now, amazingly, this is about all of our life. You can't break up your life and categorize it. You may categorize different roles, and God may ask you to be one way at work, another way at home, because of the professional needs in your workplace, for example. But you know, folks, we don't get to divide our lives. That's why I read from Psalm 86 earlier in the service. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Unite my heart to fear your name. In the Hebrew, give me an undivided life that fears your name. So you and I, if we're stewards, if we say, God, how did you make me? When I get excited to do something, why do I get excited? With a person over here could care less than even want to do that. Who am I? And how am I? I get to speak for you. I get to serve for you. But I don't divide my life up. I want you to give me an undivided life. And as I talked to our deacon nominees last week in our Zoom call, my hope and prayer is that God raises up deacons in this church, that the way they serve their church and the way they serve their world are using the exact same gifts, because that's how God made them. And it will be, it'll be self-fueling to use the gifts that God's given you in your workplace, in your home, and in your church. And shame on the church when we often haven't asked God's people to use the gifts they use every other day of life in the secular world to bless the people of God. It should be the other way around, shouldn't it? I use my gifts to steward them for God's kingdom, and it seems that the world has picked up on the fact that I'm pretty in that. And so I use the same gift to serve out there. So it's about all of our life, stewarding is Now finally, it's, a, it's all about Jesus, not about us. That's an amazing thing, right? We steward all of life with all of ourselves, but it's, it's all about Him, not you. That's what Peter says here. So you're not called, and I'm not called to celebrate our gifts as though they're ours? No, when we speak, we speak the oracles of God. They're not my words, they're God's. When we serve, it's not my strength that we have. We serve with the strength that God supplies. We should be all about decreasing and deflecting when we are actually good at what we do in the world. We serve well. We maybe speak well. But it's because it's his words and it's his heart coming through us. That's the posture of a Christian steward. i got to be careful not to say too much, but i got to be honest with you. I'm a pastor. have been a pastor for 20 years now. I can't tell you how often I have, by thanksgiving to God, from when I was 21 years old, been told, I think you have gifts of preaching and teaching. But you know what, for 20 years, what makes me sick to my stomach is when someone says, when Pastor Jim says, and, and I would rather them say, when Peter says, because I'm a preacher of God's word, I don't want it to be when Pastor Jim says, ever, ever. And in fact, it's not supposed to be that way. You don't want my commentary on a quarantine. You don't want my commentary on a political scene. You don't want my commentary where we go next. You want me to preach God's word to you in light of what us of the gospel and how it touches your fear, your concern, your politics, your health, your future. That's what you want your preacher and your pastor and your elders to do. And Peter commands it. If you're going to speak, speak the oracles of God and nothing else. So let me take it out of my realm into your realm. When someone is hurting or has been afraid over the last six or seven weeks, have you spoken God's word to anyone? Or just your own words trying to deal with their thoughts? Let's be stewards of his word to one another. And then when we learn of needs, what does it look like for us to slow down enough to pray, to realize the era of history that we're in, and to serve the strength that God supplies? Some commentators spend a ton of time here, I'm not going to this morning, but it is interesting that you almost have the role of elder and deacon described here. Elders speak, pray, God's word, he can serve, right? So he is going to go in chapter five to the realm of church leadership, but Peter's not talking about church leadership, he's talking to all of us. And when we serve with strength God supplies, speak the oracles of God, we do so not for ourselves, we do so through Jesus, and that's where this whole thing ends. What for? In order that God may be glorified through Jesus. And that's kind of the third point from the outline. That's the very last way we'll, we'll mention this morning. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Just look at the way the text is put together, by the way. The end of all things is at hand. All of you need to be a steward, and in everything, Jesus gets the glory. Now I have a question, how does your and my stewardship glorify God through Jesus? But what does that mean? And I just want you to sink your teeth and hold this for the week to come. Just, I think through Jesus, it's through his stewardship that God would any of our stewardship, right? And as we go at the Gospel of John last year, Jesus said, I don't speak anything unless I'm told by the Father to speak it. I don't go anywhere unless I'm led by the Father to do it. So when Jesus incarnated himself, he was but a steward of the Father's will, right? But who else was he? He was the Son of God. See, stewards typically are not sons or daughters. They're what? Servants. But Jesus was the Son steward. And what is the gospel promise to you? Or me? When we steward our life, do we do so as servants who are afraid of messing up? We do so with the promise of God's sonship and daughterhood that's given to us in Jesus, that when we stand before our king and he says, did you steward what I asked you to do? We don't stand before him as servants who miss the heart. We stand before His as sons and daughters, and he's going to give the promised inheritance to us, which is how Peter started his life. So how do you steward your life through Jesus, for God's glory? You do it through the identity he has, which is as a son and a steward, and you, Christian, When you steward your life, and you talk the words of God, and you speak with the strength of God, you do so as a sign of God. And I hope that sets you free. I'm going to finish up. Our family has uh, enjoyed the quarantine watching the British baking show. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. I, I, I know... All of my kids' ages. It's it's actually like, can we watch another episode tonight? And we're starting to bake some pretty good bread, mate. But at the end of every episode on the British Baking Show, with accents I can't mimic, the hosts say, Bakers! Five minutes! And they go into a frenzy to complete what they've done. And when time's up, Hands off your bacon, present to the judge, who by the way is an expert at whatever they ask to try to make in a very short time. Folks, listen, on the British Baking Show, when they're given a recipe they've never seen before, they don't just start and frenzied and act because they've been around the kitchen. They slow down and they think, and they consider what they're gonna need, all the recipes, the timelines, How long the bread's going to have to rise, yada, yada, yada. And when you have five minutes left, all you're doing is complete that which you set about much earlier. Peter is looking to the church and he's saying, You're in the last phase of history. The master's going to come and the kingdom's going to culminate at any time. Live with prayer about how you steward your day. Be alert, open your eyes. Who does he want you to speak to? But see, you have to have already been prepared before that to know His Word, so that when you get the chance to speak to someone, you speak not your own words, but His Word. Which means you have to be living in a spirit of prayer, dependence, and repentance, so that when you see somebody, you're not just all about yourself and your needs and the things that you see that you have to have fixed. So that when you look at them, you see what their needs are. And then you have to have the awareness of the Holy Spirit that's given an identity to you that you can't fail. You're not a servant that's going to be Judge harshly if you mess up. You've got the heart of a son or a daughter before God, so you get to just try. That doesn't happen in a frenzied way. So let me just implore you, friends. See your identity as a steward no matter what you face, no matter who you get to see. And if you feel like you've miserably messed up and you wouldn't know what word for God you could ever speak, or you don't know what gift you have, just pray for faith to believe that if the Spirit's in you, you have gifts, He wants you to interact with others. And He will fuel your prayer to God about how to live and steward your day. Maybe it's the last day until it all comes true. Maybe it's not. But will we be stewards through Jesus as sons and daughters of God. we pray. Father, would you be glorified this morning now as we rest in the promise of the gospel. Would you help my friends that I can see and those I can't see to believe that we've been given gifts and that as we see things around us and we speak, we speak your words. As we serve, we serve with your strength and we do so Fearlessly, because our identity is sure. As a son and as a daughter of God, would you give us faith in that? Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, and would you find us right when we come? Would we not be afraid of that day when we look forward to the tell us the completion of all things? And we'll be looking toward it with you until that day. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.